miss the show, no worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. Here we go again with another half-assed lockdown measure. That's not going to do anything to solve the problem, but it sure is going to be very painful for a lot of parents and uh, a lot of businesses. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the fact that why are small businesses paying the price if there's absolutely no data backing up that they are not the cause of the spread? And then without saying no or yes, the prime minister's dodging questions as to whether we'll see a spring election as one of his top cabinet ministers walks away from politics. Let's get talking. Ontario is declaring a state of emergency. We expect this to remain in place for at least 28 days. Further, I'm issuing a stay-at-home order effective Thursday at 12.01 a.m. Under this order, everyone must stay home and only go out for essential trips to pick up groceries or go to medical appointments. If the medical system's on the brink of collapse, then why are we repeating the same measures that didn't work the first time? Alex Pearson with you on what has been a very eventful Tuesday, January 12th. Hope you're uh, having an okay day, albeit every day now is like the same. And I think even if I had time to sit down today, then maybe I would have fallen off my chair over these modeling numbers. But of course, no parent has time to sit down because we're too busy managing our children's education. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but let me just tell you, I find it utterly gobsmacking that in 2021, and 11 months into this crisis, this is what we get in the largest school board of the country. Never-ending links to classes you gotta find on multiple platforms, and sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't, and. You got to go back and forth and email people and find out what, honestly, I'm just, I'm at the point already, it's what, three days in, I'm ready to throw my hands up. We pay a lot of money for education and this Band-Aid mishmash system they've thrown onto parents is a joke. And now I learn, and I don't know if you know this, my son bounded into the den today to tell me, mommy, we have a PD day Friday. (sighs) What? Already? Why? I don't think the teachers need a break. The parents need a break. But what are we supposed to do with the kids now? Like it's just a nonstop hamster wheel of chaos. And we're going to be stuck doing this at least until February 10th. And I'll put money on it right now. It's going to go longer than that. Because you need only look at today's modeling and you see we are totally going backwards. Because the numbers are gross. They're shocking. The worst case scenario they're saying is uh, 12,000 cases a day by March, 100 deaths a day by the end of February, and they're saying that deaths in long-term care are going to be a a lot higher than what we saw in wave one, because apparently that iron ring we were promised, um, they didn't tell us it was made out of tinfoil. I mean, it is a disgrace. And even worse, some of the things that we heard from the doctors at the modeling today is that um, soon they're going to have to pick between who lives and who dies. There will be choices about who will get the care they need and who will not. There will be choices about who receives oxygen, 
or is transported to hospital. Decisions we are already seeing being forced on ambulance crews in California, where the virus has spread widely. And I want to emphasize that the choices will affect all patients needing intensive care. Hmm. You know, we've been picking winners and losers for months. I mean, you need only ask a business owner. And they are the big losers again today. But now we're doing it with human lives. And I, I don't understand how we got here. I mean, our, our medical system at the best of times was always under pressure. But did none of these experts, because I remember watching it, and I'm sure you remember watching, as China built these enormous field hospitals at warp speed to avoid such predicaments. And I mean, how is it 11 months into this thing that none of our politicians bothered to put a plan together to designate sites for COVID illnesses so that we could keep hospitals open for, you know, other emergencies like, I don't know, children's surgeries or heart surgeries or all sorts of other life-saving surgeries? I just don't understand why are we constantly being caught flat-footed. I mean, we in Toronto had SARS and apparently everyone forgot about that. And so like, I don't know how today's restrictions make things better. I mean, unless I'm totally missing the plot, maybe I am. The only thing I actually see happening is further businesses that are going to be killed by these measures. It will solve nothing about the cases, literally nothing. And I find, I, I just found the messaging completely confusing. I mean, here we go. I mean, as of Thursday, we're supposed to walk inside our houses until it's absolutely necessary for essentials. You know, like I could hold a protest tomorrow. That would be okay. But if I have to go out and walk my dog, you know, I could probably get questioned or ticketed by bylaw or, or officers who will, uh, you know, be out in full enforcement. I mean, if I can't prove that's essential that the dog goes out, uh, uh, you know, you've got non-essential stores like retail hardware or alcohol. I mean, a lot of people would see those things as essential. Who doesn't love a good hardware store? And now they all have to close. Oh, no, wait. They have to stay closed. But if they are open, then they can only do curbside delivery or curbside service until 8 p.m. But big crowded box stores, hey, you just carry on with business as usual. I mean, other than some increased inspections, life is pretty good in the big box world, I got to say. And non-essential workers, you know, we have to work from home. But if you're a non-essential business that's allowed to operate, then who is allowed to work there if we're all being told to stay here at home? I mean, it's all sorts of kind of hypocrisy. You've got non-essential construction. That will be restricted. But have you ever met a developer who sees their construction project as non-essential? I mean, really? Time is money in that business. We've got gatherings still allowed, but they can't be any bigger than five people. And then again, we get into the mixed messaging. If things are so dire and we've got this new dangerous UK strain, which is now increasing in Ontario, why would we be allowed any gatherings at all? Period. I mean, if you give people a loophole, they will jump through it. Because what I'm hearing is, hey, I can go to Walmart all hours of the night. Otherwise, I can't be around five of my family members. And then, of course, school stays shut down till 10. The one thing I do agree with Ford on his announcement, at least uh, they've increased rapid testing. Finally. Finally. So they're going to have 300,000 antigen tests that will screen workers uh, weekly over five months in manufacturing, uh, warehousing, things like the food supply chain sectors. I mean, it is months late. 
and that's a federal jurisdiction. But at least finally it's getting into place. But unless I'm missing something, uh, I feel like Premier Ford oversold the fall off our chair dangers and then didn't deliver on restrictions to actually stop the problem. I know everyone is tired. I know everyone is sick of COVID, including myself. I know everyone wants to return to normal. New reports and data show one third of Ontarians are not following public health guidelines. Many are traveling and gathering. And now let me be clear, I'm not blaming anyone. Only one thing is truly at fault and that's the virus. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm sick of the nonsensical decision-making. And sure, the virus is to blame, but he just said right there, if one third of the people are the problem, go after them. Stop sending cops to the Toboggan Hill. That's not the problem. You go after the real culprits, like businesses that aren't putting in safety measures to protect their employees, and then they have an outbreak. I mean, had we gone after the real problems at the beginning, we wouldn't be sitting here staring at four walls. And if this new strain is so serious, why in God's name has Trudeau not implemented a travel ban? Why are we still allowing people to travel? This is really difficult. Yeah, I know it is. Have we learned nothing? And then how accurate is the data? I mean, Hamilton's announced now it's no longer tracing. Toronto dropped the ball on tracing last summer. They just gave up. If these hotspots aren't tracing, how is sound policy decision being made? I mean, where's the data and how is it accurate? I mean, how do you look a business owner in the eye and justify destroying their livelihood when we don't really have accurate tracing to back it up? And this is just a start. There's going to be more rules coming because John Tory wanted a harder shutdown. And if we're not supposed to leave your house, our house, our home, whatever, I mean, how, how much more is going to be shut down? Like, when are the parks going to be shut down? And so we asked Joe Cressy if the city's going to think about shutting down parks like they did in the spring. Remember that nightmare? And apparently the response that we got is that they'll have more to share tomorrow. Can you imagine the insanity if we can't let our kids run around out in the park or somewhere or do something? I mean, right now at every level, it seems we've got a lot of politicians making political decisions for political gain instead of sensible decisions that actually might solve this thing. And it's getting to the point where it's probably going to be easier for parents to just take your kids to Costco for a play date because at least there's a lot of space, lots of snacks, lots of toys, and apparently it's perfectly okay. That's where we're at. I know everyone is tired. I know everyone is sick of COVID, including myself. I know everyone wants to return to normal. New reports and data show one third of Ontarians are not following public health guidelines. Many are traveling and gathering. And now let me be clear. I'm not blaming anyone. Only one thing is truly at fault and that's the virus. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Um, yeah, that was Doug Ford, the premier. And he did say, you know, there's a third of the population that are the problem. They just don't follow the rules. To which I say, okay, go after them. Deal with them. But here we are 11 months into this thing. And we just keep digging further into these lockdown measures that so far have not worked. 
I mean, they've done immeasurable destruction to our businesses, our economy, uh, elevated mental health issues. And I think pretty much everybody's been affected, whether it's uh, anxiety, weight gain, grumpiness, not sleeping. I, I don't know anybody who is not dealing with some kind of stress. And then you've got the kids out of school and they're losing out on, I mean, you got to remember, kids are, uh, my kid will lose, lose out on his second birthday party of this year. I mean, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're seven or you're six and you don't get a birthday party for two years in a row, you don't understand it. Or you're not socializing, you're seeing your friends, you're not in school. These things have really immeasurable damages in the long run, not to mention all the education they're losing out on. And, um, you know, while we didn't get the curfews as seen in Quebec, there will be elevated enforcement that will go after the rule breakers. Now, I, I didn't get a lot of clarity on this. Does that mean they're going to go after those tobogganing on the hills or maybe shutting down parks so uh, parents can't get out and uh, walk around or you can't get your kids out to do some chin-ups, whatever, do anything? Uh, or is that just to go after those who are throwing the rager? We didn't get clarification. Either which way, what we saw today is not going to solve the problem ahead of us. Dr. Max, Matt Strauss joins us now. He's a critical care doctor. Good to have you, doctor. You have been um, quite outspoken. You're one of a growing number of doctors who are um, against, opposed to these lockdown measures. So I'll get your opinion on, on the measures we see today. Is this the way to go or is this just a repeat of a, a mistake? No, it is not the way to go. If it was the way to go, it would have worked back when we did it in the spring. We now have 11 months of data uh, there is no published peer-reviewed scientific evidence to show that lockdowns prevent death from COVID-19. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of a single paper showing that. Uh, and I, I, I am just so dismayed. I'm, I'm absolutely heartbroken. I, I, I don't think my patients and my community can go through uh, this panic maneuver um, that I think has been brought on by, uh, uh, frankly, I, I don't know of a better word than herd mentality. It's, they're, they're, these are not scientifically evidenced maneuvers and they really hurt people and they really hurt a lot of people last spring. And I'm just very distraught. That, that's how I'm feeling today. You know, we, we saw the modeling come out today, heard the numbers and look, their projections, they may or may not come true. They're, they're pretty frightening numbers at the worst case scenario. But when you've got a, a doctor talking about, you know, doctors having to choose between who's going to live and who's going to die. I mean, is that your experience and the experience of other critical care doctors on the front line? I mean, is that where we're at now? Uh, so I work in a couple different communities. I, I work at a few different institutions. That has not happened uh, either in the first wave or in the second at either of the institutions that I work at. Um, the imagination can store a lot of horrors. Um, but I, I, that, as far as I'm aware, did not happen in New York City, um, which, you know, was, was hit many times worse uh, than we were. And the, uh, the unfortunate truth is, uh, in critical care, uh, many, many folks do not benefit from ventilators. Um, and part of my job is having very difficult conversations with families about when a ventilator is very unlikely to succeed. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a dire and difficult conversation to have, but it, it's part of the job that we've been doing, uh, that I've been doing my whole career. Um, so I think I, I'm, I'm afraid that some of the things that I heard at that press conference were sensationalized. Um, these are life and death matters. 
and I take that very seriously, and I go to work every day to try to save as many lives as possible. Um, but it is a fact that in ICUs in Ontario, every every week that I've ever worked in one, uh, sometimes doctors do have to have conversations with people about removing ventilators because they're not doing any good. The other thing is, I, all of a sudden, we seem to think that healthcare before COVID was so phenomenal and spectacular, like there were no <laughs> pressures on the medical system. Our medical system has always been under pressure. I mean, I mean, we refuse to have the conversation about public and, and private and having a blended system to to ease those kinds of situations. But we've always had a very burdened medical system. It just took this pandemic, I guess, to kind of show those those cracks. If you were sitting at the table and you were advising the premier, what based on um, you know, where we're at today, what would you be telling him to do based on, on the beliefs and, and where you come from on this thing? Sure. The, the overwhelming majority of deaths in Ontario and in every other jurisdiction from COVID-19 uh, occur in elderly folks in long-term care. Um, and fanning the flames of panic in younger folks, uh, so that's people, let's say, under 50, um, to, to, to try to suppress the levels of this virus that is not terribly dangerous to them uh, is, is just a backwards way of protecting those people in long-term care or elders in, in community with uh, important medical problems. So I, I have from the outset been begging authorities to consider focused protection. And, and there was so much focused protection we could have done. We're, we're going $450 billion into debt um, mm-hmm. pursuing this lockdown, uh, paying 19-year-olds to stay at home in their basement. When we could have done, we, we could have had titanium-clad nursing homes. We could have had a brand new hospital in every city in Ontario by now. Um, and so there's been a lack of creativity, and and the resources have just been directed uh, not to where they could have done the most good. Yeah, I think you raise an interesting point because there are so many people right now who are out of work and probably would like to work, or if we're going to give out kind of programs for student aid and, and you know, you want to, you know, get something in return, we could have um, bulked up and, and had really aggressive uh, tracing teams built, which we still don't have in place. We could have had um, testing centers bulked up. We could have had all sorts of uh, reinforcements put into place. Lord knows taxi drivers also all over the city of Toronto have very smart, uh, educated um, people who've come into this country who have medical backgrounds. They just haven't gotten the updated training to get them in. There's so many things that we could have done to fortify, um, you know, our system to help out. And we didn't seem to put anything in place. It stuns me that that this iron ring we were told about still doesn't exist. And so we're going to continue seeing a lot of death, needless death in long-term care. But when you look 28 days forward, I mean, on Thursday, we're all going to be, I mean, I haven't left my house in, in months anyway, but, you know, my husband's going to be working out of the house. We're going to have parents working out of their house. We're going to have kids online learning. People are going to be ultra stressed, ultra irritable. Where do you see us in 28 days based on what we're doing now with measures? Um, perhaps case numbers will go down. So that has been shown. When, when I said there's no scientific evidence to show that these lockdowns save lives, you can make case numbers go down, but that can can be partly because you you change who you're testing. Um, I, I don't believe these maneuvers will save lives. In fact, there's there's way you can imagine ways in which they they could uh, cost lives. If people are losing their jobs, they, they could co- they could cost lives from COVID. So if, if I lose my job and now I have to go uh, back home and live with mom, and then I bring mm-hmm. COVID uh, into my elderly parents' home, well, that's not helpful. Um, so I, I think uh, 28 days from now uh, there will be. 
still a, a lot of death and destruction from COVID-19 because we're not uh, focusing our efforts in the right places. And as a consequence of that, I, I suspect the authorities will blame us for not having locked down hard enough and um, and continue the lockdowns. And I, I don't know how we get out of this vicious cycle of, uh, of herd mentality. Yeah, I mean, I get the sense that uh, everyone in charge at the political level is looking at the vaccine as the only way out of this. But that could be a lot. We're talking months and months and months before we're uh, double inoculated to the proper level. So, I mean, they have to have a plan uh, to get us living with this virus. And, and you're right. We will get it down cases, but then they will spring back up. I don't even know actually what the strategy is. Is the strategy to get to zero cases? Because that's just ridiculous. To me, that's just that's not a strategy. That's just stupidity. I don't know what the the politician strategy is so how can we even figure out a way to live with this i don't i i watched the press conference i didn't see anything uh resembling a strategy i'm, I'm sorry to be such a downer i i'm just very dismayed that that, that is not what i was hoping to hear i like I, I, if if lockdowns worked it's not like pandemics were just invented in 2020. Like the, it, there was Asian flu, there was Hong Kong flu, there was Spanish flu. Um, uh, the, the American Revolution was fought during a smallpox pandemic. Um, and and they had the technology to make everyone stay at home back then. It was never tried. And it, it, it's, a, it's a terrible precedent that we're setting. And um, for all of our technology and our knowledge, uh, we're just completely lacking wisdom. Um, and I, I don't know what the solution is to that. And I know that you're one of few, and, and there seem to be growing numbers of doctors um, and those in the front lines who are speaking out, but you do get quite a bit of backlash when you do speak your mind about this, correct? Right. So I'm, I, I, I agree with you. I'm one of the few uh, who speak out, and I, you know, I, I've been a freelance journalist, so I, I've been writing um, about it, and I, I maybe have some knowledge about how to um, make my voice heard. But it is my honest impression that, that most of the physicians and nurses that I work with, they, they might not see everything my way, but it, it's my honest impression that the majority of frontline workers would have preferred to have seen a more balanced approach uh, from, the, from the beginning to end of this pandemic. And when some folks have spoken out, um, they've been, you know, the social media mob has come for them or hospital administrators have come for them. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I think we're not hearing from a lot of the moderate voices. Uh, and, and I think and this problem goes beyond the pandemic and it goes beyond healthcare. care. Um, everything has become very polarized and politicized. And I don't think social media is helping any of this. And I, I, I'm not seeing the sort of reasonable and frank discussion around risks and benefits that I would expect to see um, from a 21st century free and open democracy. And if I had to ask you, um, and just before I let you go, doctor, if I had to ask you your greatest concern right now, what is your greatest concern that we're heading toward? I, I have so many. I, I think uh, loneliness, hopelessness. Uh, I, I mentioned during the first set of lockdowns, I, I, took, I, I took care of some elders in the hospital who, had, who were starving. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some because of depression, some because, uh, you know, just not having their family around to help them. Um, I, I've seen an ocean of anxiety and substance abuse and suicide. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how to prioritize anyone. And then also, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. That the United States appears to be ripping apart at the seams uh, on our southern border during all of this 
the same chaos. Like it, it's not good for individuals and it's not good for societies that we, we can't see each other in the face anymore and we can't hash out our differences um, in person anymore. Like uh, social connection is, is leaving and the only social connection we're going to have is yelling at each other on Twitter and that's yeah. not going to be good. No, there's nothing ever good about Twitter. Not in the pandemic, anyway. Well, Doctor, I always appreciate having you on, and I'll continue having you on, because I've uh, had a lot of people say, why don't you ever hear the other side? And I say, well, you got to listen to our show, because we do at least give the other point of view. And so I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Alex. I've seen the crazy lineups. We need more enforcement at these stores. So we'll be starting an inspection blitz of big box stores in the coming days. And I promise you, if we find any issues, there'll be consequences. We'll come down hard on these big box stores if we have to. And this enforcement, it will continue for as long as necessary. But ultimately, from day one, we've been counting on people to do the right thing. Well, that was Doug Ford, and you know, he's seen the crazy lines and the crowds, and yet somehow he made big box stores the big winner today. And again, small businesses have been dealt uh, what I'd call another death blow, lockdown for at least another 28 days, if they're not essential. And if they can stay open, they can't do delivery or curbside pickup past 8 o'clock at night now. And I hate this phrase, non-essential, because everyone who's got a job or is a job creator is essential to our economy. And now we know it's not restaurants and small businesses that are responsible for the case spread, but they keep paying the price with what seem to be very, very unfair policy decisions. Let us bring in a voice you've gotten uh, to know very well who's been fighting the good fight for small businesses, Dan Kelly, Canadian Federation of Independent Business President and CEO. And uh, Dan, what was your uh, first thought when you heard about these new measures? Uh, you know, if I had much hair left, I would be pulling it out right now. This is rage-inducing to see these incredibly ineffective policies double down and also made worse. I mean, for goodness sakes, they've, they've deepened the unfairness between small and large retailers, creating an even larger competitive advantage for Amazon, Walmart, and Costco. I see this as not leading to a whiff of difference in stopping the spread of COVID, potentially even making it worse. Yeah, because I think we're being lulled into a false sense of security that it's okay to shop with 500 of your, um, you know, strangers, but it's not okay to go into a small store. But, you know, we're into the second round of lockdowns for small businesses. So they've been shut down since, what, November? And now we're saying, like, so we're looking at three months of shutdowns. And that's assuming that this lockdown only lasts 28 days, because the premier wasn't really clear that this was only going to be 28 days. I have to think that a lot of the members of your organization are done now. You know, more and more businesses are starting to call and say, to whom do I turn in the keys? Like, <laughs> they, they don't know. I mean, many of them were operating under a faint hope clause that that perhaps vaccines would get here quickly enough that we would, would be able to reopen. Um, but with the messaging out of the province right now and some of these new measures, they're actually making it worse. Businesses were, were pivoting to try to eke out a bit of a living through curbside pickup or creating ways that they could deliver the goods directly to the consumer's doorstep. They're not able to do that now after 8 o'clock at night. But the big box store can. Walt, uh, Amazon can deliver. You know, at, routinely Amazon deliveries happen at 9 or 10 o'clock. But the small guy, the entrepreneur, is not allowed to do that. 
We can't hand a package to somebody on the outside, on the doorstep of our business at 8.15, a bag of dog food, but you can line up and to go into a Walmart and, and buy one. I mean, how is this stopping the spread of COVID? And as we've been arguing for months, isn't this actually making it worse by clumping up more people together to get their, their things that may seem pretty essential to them? Yeah, and and the other thing, so so clarify the rules because I, I find them clear as mud. Businesses, non-essential businesses, have to shut down. Um, so who can act, who can actually work? I mean, if you're considered a non-essential business or your non-essential employees are being told to stay home, then I, a, a business couldn't run anyway because one cancels out the other. So as we understand it, the business is allowed to keep their workers in their business premises. Uh, that isn't the the issue if they're deemed to be essential to the operations of that firm. So if you're able to sell things curbside or online uh, through delivery, you're allowed to have the workers there. The message to the public, though, is that you're not allowed to go and visit these businesses because that's not an an essential purpose. So the policies are inherently contradictory. Um, But as I believe that these things will be interpreted, the workers can come to work, They can work in the business itself, including after 8 o'clock, without issue. But what's prohibited is the actual sale of a product after 8 o'clock. You're not able to hand something to them if if the consumer comes to pick it up. You're not allowed as a business owner to drive and drop it off on their doorstep without even seeing them. Um, But yet, those same functions, to buy a TV or a T-shirt on the Amazon website and have it delivered at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, going to a Walmart, a busy Walmart or a busy Costco and standing in line to get in and then standing in line at the check stand to get out, that's okay. And and why we have not cracked down on that element uh, in the face of 400 cases in an Amazon, COVID cases in an Amazon warehouse outside of Toronto, 700 cases in Ontario Walmarts, why those activities are allowed, uh, but not the, not the small guy handing the book out the door that's the part that's not making any sense and I think is embarrassing the government with what seems to be stupid, nonsensical, anti-small business policies from a government that seems to be doing going out of their way to try to kill small and medium-sized yeah. businesses across Ontario. It's opposite of what their mandate is. It's almost like you want to tell these businesses, go get a bushel of carrots, some tomatoes, and some toilet paper. Call yourself a grocery store, and you are essential. Um, because the data, they're not tracing in Hamilton. They're not tracing in Toronto. So I don't know where they're actually backing up this policy decisions if they don't have the proper data of where this stuff is spreading. And so, you know, the other thing is, I think a lot of people are lulled into this false sense that businesses have lots of aid programs. But I don't sen- I don't get the sense of any urgency to improve on those packages and by now with this many months of lost revenue um either these governments have to make these businesses whole or or it's just simply we're going to have a mass kind of casualty uh, of of businesses shutting their their doors no well alex is worse than that the premier of the other day i had many members call me on this the premier was lecturing business owners for not having applied to the new grant program for, for small business in large enough numbers and wondered why that hadn't happened. But the program hasn't even been created yet. It's not in place. So, for goodness sake, we've created possibilities of of new programs to come on stream at some future date in Ontario. Meanwhile, the economic effect has been going on 
four months, as you outlined earlier. Um, the federal programs have been a bit better, but there still are thousands of businesses that are slipping through the cracks of the CEBA loan program, the, the rent subsidy, mm-hmm. the wage subsidy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I don't know. I mean, it is really hard to understand. Uh, you know, we're expecting one in seven small businesses to be gone forever. We're out next week with a new analysis to show just how, how significant a change there has been. Uh, and, and that we're still doing the math on. But Gosh, there are more and more businesses that are just not going to make it. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's heartbreaking, if not criminal, what is happening. Dan, I know you're very busy. We'll keep in touch and we'll keep this uh, on the radar because we'll be talking to a small business in the next hour as to whether or not they're going to survive. So I do appreciate uh, you joining us with the latest. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks so much. As I've been consistently saying, we don't want an election. Uh, we need to continue to work hard and focus on Canadians, on delivering supports, on keeping Canadians safe, on creating uh, and continuing to deliver our strong plan uh, that is going to bring the economy roaring back and make sure that Canadians get through this the right way. That's our focus. And- Methinks he doth protest too much because he didn't give an answer, but you can just smell an election in the air. Of course, the election talk just heats up with news that Liberal MP Navdeep Bain he's going to step away from political life to spend more time with the family, or so he says. And he is actually one of Trudeau's brighter cabinet ministers and stronger, stronger ministers. And what the announcement does is force him to shuffle around a few key players. So we see Francois-Philippe Champagne move again from foreign affairs to innovation minister. Omar Aljabre steps into Mark Garneau's role as transportation minister, and Mark Garneau moves into foreign affairs. I think what today really kind of spells out for us is that we're heading to the polls, likely before that supply of vaccine becomes an issue for Mr. Trudeau and starts to stick with him. Jenny Byrne joining us now, Jenny Byrne of Jenny Byrne Associates and also the former chief of staff to one Stephen Harper. Good to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. And so what do you see today kind of in the cards? Um, I mean, Navdeep Bain steps away from political life. Uh, He he says it's for the kids. Nonetheless, it is a loss for Trudeau's uh, government. And now he's got to shuffle things around again at a time when all a lot of these key positions are are dealing with a very hot file, that being China. Exactly. This this was a big shuffle. The liberals tried to position this, that this was just a minor shuffle, but it might have been minor in number. But it, in the fact that the, the departments, the ministries that it, it touched on, uh, it was a pretty major shuffle. And, and to, to your point, Navdeep Baines uh, was one of Trudeau's earliest backers when he ran for leader. He was the co-chair of uh, the last uh, election campaign for uh, for the liberals. So um, uh, this 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 was a very strange, uh, a strange announcement. Uh, yet, uh, that announcement, but I think it's signaling more and more that this government is looking towards having an election sooner rather than later. Yeah, and the reason that would be is because of uh, the continued pandemic, and, and the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a threat to Mr. Trudeau. And he announced, um, as you probably heard, that we've secured another twenty million dollars of the Pfizer um, vaccine that will come late in the spring. And it sounds all great, but what it's saying is, you know, we're going to get a very few people vaccinated. Um, and then we're going to get a few more million uh, in the cupboards in late spring. But that'll mean most millions of Canadians are only going to be partially vaccinated. 
Yes, which 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 is essentially not being vaccinated. And so uh, this is the problem the liberals have. It's I think it's twofold. It's vaccines. And I think uh, it's the economy, which is why they're going to want to go. And, and on the vaccines, um, I don't see like, despite what uh, what what uh, the liberal government is saying in terms of procurement, they've procured, I think, 10 doses per person uh, in Canada. But the issue is, is, is the actual delivery of those vaccines. We seem to be well behind most other Western countries uh, in terms terms of receiving these uh, receiving these shipments and countries like Israel are going to be fully vaccinated everyone 16 and over uh, by the end of March and so I think that that this is a real problem for uh, the liberals and I think that is part of the reason they're factoring in on having an election this spring if it takes the motivation of a spring election to actually motivate this government to get aggressive on purchasing vaccines then I guess uh, okay I'm okay with that but it is very very cynical because the reason we're so late to the game deal that they did with China, and they were late in procuring vaccines like Israel um, and UK and United States, which moved very quickly to procure them early. And so um, Pfizer being able to deliver, get these doses to Canada. Um, and really, I think maybe you can speak to this. The strategy is at least keep it looking like there's something in the window, and then you can keep blaming it on the provinces when um, you know they can't get them into actual arms. I think that's exactly what it is. And, and we've seen the, the, uh, the vaccine debate uh, ebb and flow between the, the federal and the provincial government. So it, in the 1st of December, it was all about uh, supply, uh, and uh, in the last month, it, it, it turned more to the provinces and their slow delivery. Well, the provinces have kind of upped their game now. And so I think it's going to be harder for uh, for Trudeau to be able to push that narrative out in terms of the, the provinces aren't uh, getting needles into arms uh, soon. But I think the, the vaccines, as well as the fact that I think the economic ramifications of COVID are going to become a lot more uh, noticeable to Canadians uh, this year than it was last year. Uh, last year, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of people were, their, in, their incomes were propped up by the, by governments. And I don't think that that's the case. So I think that Trudeau knows this. I think that he would like to get this out of the way before uh, the issue with vaccines becomes uh, more uh, prevalent. And when the economy starts to uh, dip in the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, people are exhausted uh, already. And, and there's not that team. I don't think we're going to see any bread baking um, going around online, and I don't think we're going to see the pots and pans being clanked every night. I mean, people are just not in that kind of raw, raw uh, mood, certainly not after today's lockdown measures by uh, Doug Ford, which, again, seem like kind of half-assed lockdown measures uh, for political reasons. He doesn't want to uh, rock the boat either way. But but again, we're going into another 28 days. Parents are going to have to teach their kids for 28 days. We're not supposed to go out. Lots of small businesses are very angry, if not completely destroyed by now. And the real areas that need to be, be um, you know, f- fixed with this a new UK strain, um, which is now in this country, it, are the border issues. They haven't stopped travel. Uh, there are a lot of things that the Trudeau government has not worn and should be wearing uh, and seem to get away with that are the real culprit in bringing you know, us to here again, our big second wave, bad modeling numbers, um, and again, a shutdown. I agree. I think one uh, one issue that 
that uh, I, I'm stunned that people don't uh, ask Trudeau about is the fact that 80% of people that cross the border actually uh, don't get tested and they don't quarantine. They're the essential workers. They're the, the truck drivers. And I in no way yeah, think that, yeah. that truck, truck drivers should have to quarantine 14 days every time that they, they come across the border. We need the goods and services. But uh, there should be some kind of rapid testing uh, program in place uh, for, for, those, for the essential workers that cross the border on a daily basis. It's the only thing that Doug Ford talked about today that I actually agreed with, which is going to have 300,000 of these, I guess, antigen tests delivered weekly so they can, they can start testing at uh, manufacturing plants, warehouses, and these hotspots that have really been a culprit of spread. But you're right. No one has challenged Mr. Trudeau on this. Uh, you know, And so essentially, it doesn't stick to him. And, and that's a good strategy for him. He can just keep throwing it onto the provinces as long as they think it's the province's fault as, as to why it's not being done. Then he doesn't wear it. Exactly. Like I saw a poll today that 60 percent of Canadians think that the federal government is doing a great job on vaccines. And that's just shocking to me. All right. And so then what does the opposition, what does Mr. O'Toole do? Because he, he's not being heard. He's not able to punch through right now. And as long as people think that the, the Trudeau government's doing a fantastic job with the, a couple of hundred thousand vaccines, um, that wins the battle. Well, and I'd like to, Aaron's a smart guy. He's a very capable guy. I'd like to see him out of it more. I, I, you know, I consume the news uh, uh, on a, on a daily basis uh, as, as not just a political junkie, but also as part of my job. And I didn't see the conservatives comment at all on vaccines today, except for, uh, except for some, uh, um, some senators on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter. So I, I, if the conservatives, I, I know how hard it is for opposition leaders to punch through, especially against someone uh, like Justin Trudeau, but I, I think the I think they're going to have to be a bit more focused uh, in terms of holding the government to account. That or they're going to get outplayed, which is exactly what Mr. Trudeau would like to do. Well, we'll stay tuned, uh, Jenny. I appreciate your time on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. You of course can join us live Monday through Friday, starting six thirty sharp here on Point. Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.